what's your go-to you're competing let's say you're competing with you know similar level black belts and it's you know you're, yeah. you're there to like not not mess around yeah you're, you're there to win what are you looking to do well for most of my jiu-jitsu career i had i was known for my half guard and my kimura game from there um i beat some of the best guys in the world with that game and then i i had a horrible uh, injury when i was a new black belt where i ruptured my abdominals um and basically kept re-rupturing them uh, playing that game, so I had to completely reinvent my How? competition. So, I was one of two of my students, uh, Brandon, who's my first black belt, and Ilya, who's my second black belt. They were getting ready for the Chicago Open. This is, you know, ten years ago, and we were training hard. And I just felt like I pulled a muscle in my core, and I was like, "Oh man, this is gonna be a bad little muscle pull." But I'm like, "Hey, we have two more days before the tournament. I'll just keep training to get them ready." And it kept getting worse. And I woke up one morning, and I just felt like I couldn't walk, like I couldn't move. My body was really bad. And I go to the gym and some of the people at the gym are like, you look sick, like I was pale. And I had just this horrible pain. And I just, you know, I felt like I just, and I wound up, the, one of the guys at the gym was like, hey, you look like you're gonna pass out. You need to call a doctor. And one of my students who's a surgeon, I called him. So we're live. Another episode of Adversity King, special guest today. Now help me pronounce the last name. It's Jeff. Seraphin. Seraphin, okay. Easy. That's how yep. I thought it was. So, uh, well, first off, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. Good. Doing great. Good. So today's your day off. Yep. Right. So swimming. So I don't know if that's still a day off. I actually swam when I was growing up, and it's a pretty hard workout. Well, it's my two-year-old son swimming. So okay. I'm just in the pool, carrying the forty-pound little yeah. kettlebell in the pool and helping him. So yep. it's you know active recovery. So real curious before we jump into all the jujitsu uh -huh. and just your life, what what made you? want to implement the swimming recovery is there something technical that that's helping with just the well i just wanted my son uh to learn to swim so where yes. i grew up no there were no pools so okay. i never could learn to swim so i started to learn to swim when i was in college to like when i was fighting pro mma i needed an extra way to do uh cardio yeah and um swimming was a great way without putting uh you know anything on my joints and i was like trying to learn to swim as a 22 year old was really difficult. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to, we want my son to be in the pool for some of these super young. And then it gets me in the pool. Just gets my body to be relaxed underwater for an hour. Yep. Just get to do light movement, you know, without that weight. So, uh, I just think it helps, you know, I have 23 years of joint injuries and muscle tears. How and, many mad hours do you think you have? I couldn't even count. I mean, yeah. when I was, you know, when I was coming up, when I was fighting pro and I was in college, I was training three times a day, seven days a week. So I was probably putting in... And would you say the training sessions were like two, three hours? Yeah, about two hours at a time. Two hours. And, you know, that's wrestling, judo, yep. jiu-jitsu, kickboxing. But, I mean, jiu-jitsu mad hours, I, I couldn't even tell. I mean, because it's been my full-time job for 14 years, and I was fighting pro for another six years before that. So I've been doing this pretty much my whole... This is my only, you know, source of income for 20 years. So where'd you grow up? I grew up in Lansing, Illinois, right on the Indiana border. Wow. And then what did your parents do? My dad was a steel worker. Um, and my mom was a mainly stay at home mom, but she worked as a librarian. She worked as a secretary. She just kind of did odd jobs once we got old enough to go back to school or yeah. was growing to school for a time, me and my older brother. So very blue collar town, very blue was collar he, family. Was the steel worker, was it union? Yeah. Union steel worker. So we're, we're, we're the only that I know of the only unionized life insurance company in our niche mm -hmm. is we have, we set up contracts with different unions and then we send out response cards to them and then they send those back. That's mm -hmm. how we sell. So we sell insurance. So Got it. I think that's cool because, yeah. uh, that's literally how we build our company was union. We, yeah. we have these, all these pitches around. Yeah. My dad was a union steel worker for about 40 years. My grandfather before that was a steel worker for about 40 years, wow. both in the East Chicago and Gary, Indiana plants that we grew up right by. Now, what was growing up for you? Like, 
it was just typical blue collar upbringing. Yeah. Um, you know, factory workers, everyone I went to school with pretty much their parents were either, you know, worked at a mill, worked in a factory, um, worked retail things, um, just pretty standard Midwest blue collar, you know, rust belt kind of upbringing. Yeah. Um, you know, and my parents just were, their whole goal for me was to not do a job you hate. My dad, well, steel worker was a great job, paid the bills you know, allowed us to have a good life. He hated it. So he did not want, he just said, Hey, do something that you want to do. And I don't care if it makes money. I don't care if it is going to make you famous, but if you enjoy it, you're not gonna have to work. Yeah. And, um, luckily enough, I've stumbled into jujitsu as a high school kid and it changed the course of my life. And how'd you stumble into it? Someone introduced you or uh, me and my dad and my older brother rented UFC three. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some guys at the mill were like, Hey, you know, you got to see this ultimate fighting stuff. It's crazy. They like right after it came out, we watched it. I saw Heist Gracie fight chemo and I told my dad, Oh, I want to do this stuff. You know, I'm at the time I'm a 10 year old kid yeah. and you know, I, there was you know, the idea of like a, a kid or a regular person fighting or doing jujitsu is insane. And then, uh, five years later, I, we were driving and we saw a sign outside of a karate school that said Brazilian jujitsu with a phone number we called the next day. And that was it. Now, how did Hoist finish chemo? Hoist finished him with an arm bar, but basically like got him tired and was pulling his hair and headbutting him. And it was just a dirty old school, you know, what they call Valley Tudo back then. Old, only rules were no biting, no eye gouging, no weight classes, no time limits. Just fight. Chemo was like 270. Hoist was like 170. Yeah. And just watching that was like, man, I want to do this. Like, what? What? this is crazy. It's like the pro wrestling, but real. And like, you know, then we, I went back and watched all the UFC. So we got all the early UF, uh, VHS tapes and then I just started watching anything I could find. And back then it was hard, no internet. So you had to like, you know, wait for Blockbuster to get a video or yeah. you had to like, you had an internet. There was like a, a little tape training community of guys in the area who would like record one and then, Hey, I got this video. So let's trade them back and forth. And, um, yeah, that, as soon as I saw it, I was like, this is what I want to do. Wow. So you get into that and then you start training. Now you're, you're still in Lansing, Illinois. Yep. Now, did you stay in that school up until Black Belt? or No, I started uh, with a guy named Braulio Corral, who still has a great school in Cherville, Indiana, right where I started. He's moved locations in town a few times. Um, but I started with him when I was in high school. And when we were there, he was only a blue belt at the time. So I was, you know, he was running the gym as a blue belt, which was super common. And we got connected with a guy named Jack McVicker, who's my current coach and who I've gotten my black belt under. And he was a purple belt at the time. Yeah. And he was like the only American purple belt anywhere. And he was down in Terre Haute, Indiana. And we used to go down to seminars with him and he'd bring his coach, Megatson Diaz, who's, you know, a sixth degree black belt, one of the legends of jujitsu. And I trained with Braulio and then he would, we'd bring up Jack. And then when I got uh, out of high school, I went to the University of Illinois and it so happened that Jack had an academy in Champaign. And I have actually chose my college based on, oh, this is where a guy I know who's great at jujitsu is going to, going to be teaching. So I picked to go to the University of Illinois and then started training with him. And I've been with him ever since. So I started training down there in 2002. And what's his name again? Jack McVicker. And he's under? He's under Megaton Diaz. Megaton. Now, what, what, now, where did Megaton Diaz come out of? Megaton is a black belt directly from Alio and Hicks and Gracie and Gracie Academy in Brazil. Wow. Um, he was uh, one of the head instructors down there. He was also a judo black belt in Brazil. They call him Megaton because he throws you so hard. They measure it in Megatons is, <laughs> is the nickname. Um, and he's like a legend. His daughter's Mackenzie Dern, who fights in the UFC, who's an ADCC champ. Those judo throws, I mean, I wrestled like I think one year, one mm -hmm. or two. I, I call it one year because yeah. I wrestled two years. I wrestled a year in Arkansas. I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas. Then I moved to Western Pennsylvania. I wrestled a year there. Completely yeah. different. Different level of yeah, wrestling. Yeah, completely different wrestling. And uh, but the hip toss and head toss was my go-to, yeah. you know, in Arkansas. It didn't didn't work in Western PA. But I look at these judo throws. And I'm like, oh, you know, I mean, you're just kind of throwing the leg through yeah. and. 
with the gi. You know, it's a gi, same yeah. deal with the judo, right? Yep. So that's the same deal. Is that is that the main throw this uh, Megatom was doing? Omega, he he's actually really known for the Tomonagi, um, which is, you know, uh, a throw where you sit underneath your opponent. Um, it's actually great for jiu-jitsu because if you miss it, you're just basically pulling guard. Um, uh, but Alex if you, has done this. Yeah, it's a great You throw. go flying. Exactly. And if you actually get on, like, YouTube and just put in Megaton Diaz or Megaton Tomonagi or Megaton throw, and you'll see highlights of him just Do you have butterfly guys. hooks in? He and... puts one hook in, and okay. he puts one hook in, and he spins under, and you just see guys going flying over their head. And he's been doing – and, I mean, he's got world-class judo all across the board, but that's his specialty throw that he's been hitting in competition for 25 years. I hated shooting uh, in wrestling, so I kind of – well, I, I, I learned a move that it was called the cement mixer mm -hmm. and uh, essentially you kind of put in a guillotine yep. and you just kind of roll through and mm -hmm. um, that's still sometimes I try to bait with that. But now, you know, being being fresh and removing ego, I just try to shoot and learn and get better. But that's something I, I like to just like bait. I'll throw a leg mm -hmm. out there and just like hopefully someone will shoot for the leg and I'll just try to guillotine them and just pray to God I'll roll through. And <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's my game. I, I like I, I did a lot of wrestling when I was fighting in May. You know, I was in a lot of good wrestling rooms, college wrestling rooms. And I'm but I didn't grow up wrestling. So I'm never going to be that D1 yes. All-American wrestler. So my whole wrestling and judo game is based on countering. I want to wear guys out, make them attack me so I can use my jujitsu against that wrestling and then get them confused. And that's when I can actually take guys down. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've trained with guys, you know, Division one all-americans state champions from illinois and it's like i don't care how good you are in your 20s and 30s if you didn't grow up wrestling you're not taking those guys no. down consistently in a wrestling not at all because it's secondhand nature it's it's not even it's it's no longer a skill set it's infused into yeah. their blood 100 it's, it's a piece of them so now you started jujitsu and then mm. how did you go into fighting well back then i mean in the 90 i started in 1998 and and back then pretty much everyone who trained jujitsu was training to fight yeah. So when I walked in the gym, it was a room full of 10, 12 guys, all who either were fighting uh, NHB, we called it back in the day, No Holds Barred, before it was called Mixed Martial Arts, or were like prison guards, cops, guys, you know, SWAT team guys. It was all people who were going to use jujitsu for fighting. There were like very few gi or no gi tournaments. So when I started, that's what everyone was doing. Like all the guys I was training with were all fighting. And we had a bar in, uh, just down the road in Lowell, Indiana. Uh, called Zunis that they would just have every once a month like the first Tuesday a month they'd have MMA fights no holds barred fights in the bar and you know all these guys and you look back and there were guys who fought in the UFC and fought in Pride who started in those shows so when I started everyone's like okay you're gonna train now I turned 18 I had my first pro MMA fight 10 days after I graduated high school so when you're training with these guys you're mm -hmm. training with adults you know what uh, I yeah. mean now are they being just as rough with oh, you as yeah. you know, fifteen? You getting yeah. popped in the so face. So my first, my first day ever. Never trained anything before. I'm a 15 year old kid, not in great shape. You know, had you know stopped playing baseball a few years before, and I got choked unconscious twice in my first class. Yeah, and it wasn't because I was trying to be tough and you know I'm gonna beat. The, I literally got so I was so bad. The guy I was rolling with trapped my arms. Oh, and then the he worst. grabs in a choke and I didn't know how to tap with my feet or anything. And yeah. I never really been choked before. And I just went to sleep, woke up. I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. And it didn't hurt. So I wasn't like scared. Yeah. And they just woke up. So I'm rolling with somebody else. Same thing. He gets my back. My arms get trapped, get choked. And I always joke. I didn't even tell my dad who he picks me up. And I, and you know, looking back and I'm like, now I'm like, that was crazy. They might've been like, you can't do this to choking you unconscious. Yeah. Now as a, someone who runs a gym, I'd be like, if one of my students choked a brand new guy unconscious the first time, yeah. I'd be like, what is wrong with you? But back then it was just like, Hey, if he can't take it, he probably shouldn't be here anyway. Yeah. So just kill or be killed kind of attitude. Yeah, absolutely. So evolves into fighting. Now you had your first pro fight at 18. Mm -hmm. So what happens that first pro fight? It was just based again, old school. It was in a uh, parking lot of a bar set up a ring 
Um, I was, you know, the, back in the days, there were no, like, you know, we just got there. I weighed 170 pounds. They said, okay, this guy weighs 170. He's got two fights. You got no fights. You're close. You're going to fight. So shake hands, go warm up, go in the cage or go in the ring back then. And I was just, you know, fought the guy. He was 2-0 already. And uh, he was a kickboxer. And I just took him down, passed his guard, you know, got him inside control and arm locked him. And, you know, didn't get hit once. And then I fought a second time that same night. Another guy I wanted to fight. Since I didn't get hit, they're like, hey, you want to fight this guy? Sure. Pulled guard, triangled him in like 30 seconds. So I had two fights the same day. Didn't get punched once. And I was like, oh, this stuff's not bad. It's pretty easy yeah. sport. And, you know, I was like, I wanted to fight before I went to college because I didn't know, hey, if I go to college and who knows what I'm going to do, I just want to know I got in the ring at least once. And But after I did that, I was like, oh, I want to keep doing this. This is going to yeah. be something I want to do. Now, that arm lock. Mm-hmm. How, so is that kind of like like a gangster arm bar or like what, how was that set up? It was just uh, I was I got to side control. And was luckily just punching him, and this is the, the no gloves days. Okay. So uh, no gloves, no you know, just bare knuckle, and you know I, I broke a couple of his ribs throwing strikes to the body, and then he just tried to push me away because he didn't want to get hit anymore. Extend the arm, yeah. and then you just sank it. Yeah, and... right for a basic straight arm bar, like out of the old Gracie, you know, Valley Two Self Defense One One course. Did you see the the arm? I'm sure you did the the armbar Oliveira had on Tony Ferguson. Mm-hmm. How Brutal. is somebody able to? I I, I sat in an armbar once a little longer than mm-hmm. I feel like I should have. I felt it for at least a month, yeah. at least a solid month. That and I never realized like the inside of your elbow can hurt. Oh yeah, like it, it can it can. There's a lot hurt. of different things that can hurt Novo's joints. Yes. a lot of different things. Oh. I think a guy like Tony, he just doesn't care. I mean. He's letting his arm go. He's letting the joint stretch. And then the thing that happens, if you get your guy in an arm bar like that and you break their arm or you pop the elbow, a lot of time the arm's going to go limp because you're just going to lose support and you can actually slide your arm out and it takes pressure off the arm bar. So a lot of times when you see that, a guy will get his arm snapped or his arm you know, hyperextended and then you can actually pull the arm out because now it's going to bend at an angle that it wouldn't bend when it was connected. So it almost relieves the pressure. Now, I... Two hours after the fight, it's going to be awful, and you're not going to be able to even pick up a cup of coffee. But in the fight with the adrenaline, it's crazy Tony is. Yeah. It's just like, I'm going to let my arm go. I'm not going to tap, and I'll keep fighting, and I'll deal with it tomorrow. I think, I think the same fight, he, he got put in a bad position with like a heel hook. Yeah. Some type of leg leg yeah. lock. I know. I think the Benil Darius fight, he got in a bad heel hook. Same thing. He just let his knee just go. Just let it. Just and he'll come back and fight, and, yeah. and you know you don't even know. I, so I give a lot of a lot of kudos and respect there. But Me too, I wouldn't do it. But yeah, hey, no, no, it's him. absolutely nuts. Now, I, as I'm, I was doing research and looking around. So now, one of your favorite pro fights? You, did you ever find the video footage? It was a flying knee. Oh, is that knee from the clinch? Knee from the clinch. Okay. Nah, I, th- this video does not exist. Like an Anderson Silva yeah. tie clinch. Mm-hmm. That was my specialty in striking. I was like, because I was a grappler who start, learned to strike, I wanted to clinch. I wanted to get guys against the cage or against the ropes, throw elbows and knees, yep. take guys down. So do you remember who you fought? And- yeah, a guy, Brandon Lee. He's uh, actually has a, him and his brothers have a big jiu-jitsu school in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Wow. Have a really cool program going up there. Um, and uh, he was a really tough fighter at the time, and he was we were both young guys. And um, it was one of the top main events at a show called Ironheart Crown. We used to be the biggest show in Chicagoland. Um, and uh, it was a great fight. And I just It was for Shudo, which was a big promotion in Japan at the time, and they sanctioned the, show, the fights there. Um, and they were producing, cause they would make big DVDs and release them overseas. And they're like, Oh, don't worry. You don't need to tape anything. We're, you know, this is going to be available in Japan. And then none of that video exists. And I, there were so many great fighters, Jeff Curran and Miguel Torres and all these legends of the sport, Stefan Bonner guys fighting on these cards. And a lot of this tape, just all these fights are gone. They're in the ether. So as you're fighting, are you in college? Uh, yeah, 
I, w- so, I started fighting. Pro- I had my first pro fights when I was right out of high school. And then once I started college, I took like a year off of actually fighting. and was just training and just getting used to being a college student. Yeah. And then um, I found a great group of guys to train with down there to go along with my jiu-jitsu coach. And um, we had a, an incredible uh, room of talent. Like for We used a, a rec center in the University of Illinois, and we had a, a team of guys who wound up fighting the UFC, Pride, Bellator, all over the world. And um, we just get together and train, and we had – just this no really we didn't have a head coach we all kind of trained each other so i'm getting ready for a fight the guys would train me i'm getting they're getting ready for fights we train them and um we just pretty much trained all day between classes or some of the guys had jobs and we just trained three times a day and beat the crap out of each other now how long did you fight professionally i i fought i wound up only having seven pro fights um i had about six other fights that i made weight for that opponents either no showed um, or backed out of, I had a few in a row. I had a bad, um, I had a bad, uh, just habit of getting to a fight. A guy telling me, okay, your opponent's not here yet, but he's going to weigh in tomorrow. And then I'd weigh in and then I get a call. Hey, the guy's not fighting you. And, um, I just don't know what it was. So I only wound up getting to fight about seven times, uh, before I decided to coach, but I cornered in that time, probably 250 MMA fights for our team and a bunch of all over the time. So I started fighting probably 2004 like four 2004 ish till about 2007 um i fought seven times and um yeah i wound up just deciding hey i'm gonna start coaching full-time there's a much longer career there than fighting i knew i was gonna be a world champ you know i was too old i wasn't that level of athlete i was training some guys who were in the top 10 in the world and i was like this guy's i've been training 10 years longer than this guy and this guy's physically i just can't stay with I have the technique to beat him but i don't have the physicality so i made the tough decision to say hey i'm gonna give up the fight to do the coaching part. And I think it's the best decision I ever made now. So did, did you graduate college? Mm-hmm. And yep. so you graduate college mm-hmm. and did that kind of correspond with the same amount of the, the same time as you transitioning into coaching? Yeah. I, I graduated from the university of Illinois and then I stayed down there, you know, kind of coaching and training, um, teaching guys. And then I actually just got an offer to come up to the Chicagoland area and teach full time. An MMA gym was opening and they needed a jiu-jitsu coach. And, you know, a lot of people recommended me and I went up there and taught for like a month and then found out they literally started an MMA gym. They got a building and they built it and did everything without permits and they didn't get a business license or anything. Yeah. So the gym got shut down after a month. And then um, it just so happened that the Evanston Boxing Club, which was a great uh, gym up in Evanston, same thing. They needed a jiu-jitsu coach and I moved there and then I was there for years and built my program in Evanston and I've been up there for 14 years since. So now when did you build your own gym? Well, so I was in Evanston at the boxing club for about uh, seven years, and then they closed. Um, up, so they sold the building to uh, the the landlord did to get developed in condos. This happens all the time. Yeah. So then uh, me and a partner uh, started a gym in you know Seraphim Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in Evanston. We were there for about five years, and then COVID happened. Then we moved to a new location, and now we're building a brand new state of the art facility uh, in downtown Evanston. Now, how did you connect with your partner? So um, what, basically, I've been lucky in that I, when I started teaching jiu-jitsu in Evanston, I got a great network of uh, people. We, you know, we have everything from high school students to college kids to doctors and lawyers and real estate investors and bankers. And um, right now, we got a, a, one of my partner, Jim. He's a, a really uh, big investment uh, real estate investor, and he just sold his real estate company for a, a large sum of money. So he's taking a step back and... In the process, he wants to start a second kind of half business side business for himself, and that's going to be our Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu facility. It's going to be a beautiful gym that's going to be the host of our Jiu-Jitsu facility. I'm excited to check this gym out. Yeah, we're, is it going to be open to like? It's going to be open hopefully in the fall, and it's going to be open to everybody. It's going to have yoga, Pilates. Yeah, uh, it's going to have a real focus on. Acai. Yeah, we're going to have a. We actually have a juice company, Joe and the Juice. They're from Europe. They're going to be opening uh, in the storefront. 
Um, and, uh, we're going to have a, the whole goal of the gym is going to be a kind of a mind body experience where you come in and do hard stuff like boxing and jujitsu and wrestling, and then do yoga, breath work, Pilates, ice baths, saunas. Yep. So good for the you. whole thing. So good. So do you incorporate a lot of the, uh, the, the mind work as well than yourself with the ice baths and saunas? And everything? Uh, I, I hate saunas cause I used to use them from May to yeah. cut weight. So I hate the sauna. Uh, but I do a lot of mobility work, uh, and I'm a big fan of a system called Gymnastica Natural. It's a uh, Brazilian system of basically, they call it natural gymnastics, and it's a bunch of animal movements and body movements that are like basically designed for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It's like Anderson Silva, Vitor Belfort, George St. Pierre, a lot of world-class fighters used to use it. Um, and Alvaro Romano, who's a creator of the system, he used to come up to Evanston at the boxing gym and teach. And uh, so I've had the chance to do a lot of privates and seminars with him. And he, you know, taught the system of flow. So I do it every day in the morning as my kind of mobility work. Are you familiar with the Wim Hof method? Yeah. Do you like that as well? I have, I've only dabbled with it because I haven't had a chance to like actually work with someone who's an expert in it. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the things we've been talking about, bringing somebody into the gym, new gym to like do breath work. Either somebody for a seminar, but we'd like someone who could really teach like a weekly class on breath work. Because yep. um, I know some people who have you know, swear by it and have done amazing things. And Hicks and Gracie, you know, one of the greatest of all time, he was doing that type of breathing. And I think I heard him on Joe Rogan and yeah. and he was taking it a step above of like having absolute control over your diaphragm. Of like being able to just do different movements with yeah. almost like his lungs or something. Yeah. You know if you I mean? watch, like, if you watch the documentary choke about Hicks and you can see him, he can suck all his, uh, the muscles of his abs and individually yes. and move them and move them into his chest and breathe and howl himself out. And it's, it's pretty impressive stuff. It's insane. Yeah. It's nuts. So you start your own gym. You connect with your partner. Mm-hmm. Now, what about your family? Are, is anybody else in jiu-jitsu? Now, you, nope. said you, you said your dad started with you, right? You know, he just drove me. Okay, he just drove He me. would drive okay. me before I was old enough to drive. He would just drive me, just go to a bookstore and read while I was in class and come pick me up every day. You ever mentioned to him, like, hey, maybe come out, get on the mats? Or I, I did, but, you know, he had he wanted, wanted no part of it. Yeah, He loved me doing it. Yep. And it was his, you know, he, I, you know, I, after my first class I told him, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And this is what I want to do for a job. And they're like, yeah, whatever, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but they were super supportive. You know, they came to all my MMA fights. They drove to all my tournaments when they were there. So, um, I, I had great support when I was coming up in the sport. What about your brother? He in it? Mm-mm. Never. Nope. No one has ever trained, um, other than me and my family. Now, what about competitions you've been in? What, what would you say for jujitsu? You know, what are some of your favorite competitions you've been in and some of the biggest you've been in as yeah, well? Yeah, I've been, you know, I've been in, I've competed all over the world and all over the country, um, you know, PANS and Worlds and ADCC Trials and all those. Um, my favorite tournament ever was the ADCC Trials um, back in 2006. Like, so now the ADCC, you know, the biggest grappling tournament in the world, Abu Dhabi Combat Club. It's a, the biggest no-gi grappling tournament. And like this year, we actually have a bunch of my students are going out to the West Coast ADCC Trials in a, in a month. Um, and it's going to be one of the biggest tournaments ever, like uh, the 77 kilo division. One of my students is in, there'll be 250 competitors in that division. Some wow. of the best guys in the world, but back in the old days, ADCC, they did a North American trials and it was invite only. So they only invited 16 people per weight class, um, to the trials. So I got invited in 2006, um, last minute because they had a dropout. Um, so I got to go fight at the 88 kilo division. Um, and I was much smaller than that, but they said, Hey, if you want to fight, you can come out and fight. And, um, you know, I was able to, you know, be in the mats with some, uh, you know, legends like Jeff Glover and Bill Cooper and, um, Tom DeBlass and Elliot Marshall and all these great, you know, legends of the sport at the time. Um, 
And uh, I actually had, that was just such a fun tournament to be at. And, you know, George St. Pierre was there in the crowd, Matt Sarah and all these UFC guys and Henzo Gracie and, you know, all those guys were there. Um, and that was, that was one of the best experiences I've just been a part of because it, it was such a small thing back then, but you know, it was just a, at a high school gym in New Jersey, but some of literally the greatest grapplers in the world were all in a room together competing. And, um, those are the kind of days, like I miss the smallness of it, but, um, I love how the sport has grown. Um, because looking from there and like, it was a small gym that no one cared about, even though these guys are good to now the ADCC trials this year will be on full grappling. There'll be people watching all over the world. There'll be media coverage. There'll be thousands of people watching live, thousands of people watching online, thousands of people competing. And it's just crazy to see where the sport has gone. Who would you say is the best out there right now? Which is a very hard question. Uh, it depends what you're talking about. If you're talking about Nogi, Nogi. Gor- Gordon Ryan's the best Nogi okay. grappler out there. I, you know, people love him. People hate him. He's controversial. But until someone actually can beat Gordon and like, you know, if you beat him by a point, hey, you still beat him. But like, he's dominated the, the competition the last few years and he's fought the best of the best. Yes. So, I mean, uh, I don't love everything he says. I don't love all his stances on life, yeah. uh, but his jujitsu is, is, is close to flawless and no jujitsu as you can get. What Now, do you think, do you think it, it's mainly mad hours and just, just the, the detail orientation or is some of it genetic? And I think it's a combination. God given. There's never going to be that good. If you don't put in the work, yeah. you can, you know, I don't care how much of a natural athlete jujitsu is too technical to be that good without the work. But at the same time, I've trained with guys. I've seen guys who put in all the work, but they don't have those God given talents. They don't yeah. have just that ability to process things quickly. Um, so I think Gordon has a combination of incredible work ethic, incredible coaching, incredible mind, incredible body. And when you put those together, you know, it's hard to beat. Now, he faces Andre here soon, right? Andre Govat, the super fight. And yep. that's just a super fight. Mm-hmm. Now, does he go to any ADCC stuff anymore? Because I know he's big on, like, the money got to be there. Yeah. Which well, I he, completely agree yeah. with. Well, hey, that's this is, a, this is a sport he makes a living. So, like, him and Andre are going to fight in the super fight. And he's also going to do his division, that tournament. It's going to be the first time anyone ever has done the super fight and is also going to do his division because he wants to win X amount of ADCC gold medals so no one can, like, argue who has the most medals. So he's going to fight Andre in the super fight, and he's also going to fight the 99 over kilo division, which is going to be like the hardest division in the history of ADCC, like six former world champions in it. So he's going to prove he's the best grappler in the world or somebody else is going to prove the best grappler. Now, would you say his coach is then the best coach in the world? Would you say Donna hires? I, see, I think, I think that's harder to say. I think John is an, a, a jujitsu genius. I, if, I'm not someone who watches a ton of instructionals. I just don't have the time. I tried it. I was telling you, I yeah. tried it once, but like we both know I'm a, I'm a white belt. So yeah. like me, I have zero fucking idea what's going on. I'm just thankful if I survive around. Yeah. See, I don't watch him just cause I've been training for so long and I like to learn hands-on. So I, I do a yes. lot of experimentation. I like to work and, and work workshop with a lot of my training partners and you know i'm lucky in that like for instance two of my students just went down to austin actually trained with donna her and they were with, training with craig jones and the guys a few weeks ago is this so, the blonde kid mm-hmm. chris chris i swear Lodge. i see him all over the place he must be really good because i swear i see him like chris is uh he's as good. he's i've been training for 20 some years i've been teaching for full-time for 14 years and he's the best i've ever trained I see him like all over the place. Yeah, he's kids. A kid is a phenomenal athlete, and he's the work. He's like a perfect example, like a Gordon Ryan. I've trained better athletes than him, but I've never trained an athlete as good as him who has the dedication, the mindset, and the ability to put in the work as him. Yeah, and because I've trained guys who will like put in the work, but they're just not that great athletes. Now is he a brown belt or black belt? He's a brown belt. Brown belt. Okay. He's he's one of those guys. He could he taps many black belts. Um, 
in competition and in training, but he hasn't been his brown belt for two years. So like if we promoted, if I promoted him to black belt now, he couldn't fight it. Like the world's in the pans and IBGDF circuit. So, you know, one of his goals this year to win the world championships at brown belt before he gets the black, um, as well as ADCC. So, um, he's as good as any black belt you're going to find in Chicagoland, but he's technically a brown belt still. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. It's insane. So who do you think then would be the, now I, this is, again, this is, you know what I mean? Like almost an impossible yeah. question. Best coach. There's, I don't think there's a best coach because I think the thing about it is like Donahue and Gordon, perfect example. It's different styles. And not just that. I think they're like, you have to find the right coach for the right athlete. So I yeah. think the reason that Donahue and, and Gordon work together is it's that perfect athlete for the perfect coach. Donahue's the kind of coach that's going to work for Gordon. Gordon's the perfect athlete for Donahue. Cause yeah. John has coached tons and tons and tons of world-class athletes before this, but this is the first time he's created this, the best of the best of the best. Yep. And, you know, I think Gordon would have been great, but without Donahue, I don't think he would have been where he's at. So to say Donner's the best coach because of Gordon is hard, where you take a guy, like there's a guy named Melky Golval um, in Brazil, not related to Andre Golval, and his son, Michael, who's 18 in a black belt, and he's already one of the best black belts in the world. And he's also coached Fabricio Andre, who just won a black belt world title. And he coached Diego Host, who just won the ADCC trials. And they're just from a small gym in Manaus. And, you know, you're talking about a guy who's been teaching these guys since they were little kids. And, but he's not famous yet because his students are just getting the black belt. And again, if he keeps this up for a few years, you're going to be like, wow, these guys are winning Gi World titles, no Gi World titles, ADCC trials. So, you know, is he one of the best coaches in the world? Has to be. You know, Hafa Mendes and Gi Mendes at the Art of Jiu-Jitsu, they're producing kids world champions. They're producing adult black belt world champions, and they all train in-house. They, and they have guys who are great Gi and no Gi. So, I mean, to say the best coach, I think it's, you're going to find a bunch of great coaches and you have to find the athletes that are going to fit the style. Yeah, and the coaches that, that would probably be a better reflection of the best coaches who's yeah. producing the most champions. Yeah. And I think and I think that's going to be cyclical because you're going to go from times where there was a time where all the best jujitsu in America was in uh, Southern California. That's where the hub of jujitsu was. And now then it was in New York for a while when Donahue and those guys were there and Marcelo Garcia and Unity. Now everyone's moving to Texas. And, you know, I, I think and Brazil still has this great stronghold of jujitsu but they're not getting the publicity because they don't have the coverage of the media and the yeah. internet like we have in the united states um but i think there's just there's a wealth of great coaching out there but the thing is i think most great coaches in jujitsu if you're just in a normal area you don't have full-time students you don't have like guys flying in from all over the world just to train with you like i have a couple full-time students like chris all he does is train so he gets you know i get to teach him and he gets to train all day so he's going to, his reflection of how good his skill is, where 99.9% .9 of my other students, none of them, they don't have the ability. They have jobs, families, other commitments. Now does he do one-on-ones or, or something to like help, like something to like survive? Oh yeah, you know he, I mean? he, uh, he, he writes, he's a writer. Okay. So he has like, uh, does stuff like for Quora and Medium and he has his own blog that he like, uh, that's a jujitsu focused blog that he like has a subscription to. Um, he teaches uh, jujitsu lessons yep. and he helps run a kid's program at Northside. Um, so pe people, I don't think people realize when it comes to like fighting, it's, it's entrepreneurship. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? 100%. Because entrepreneurship is you investing years over years of your time, energy and resources yep. and your profits back into your business and then expecting that long-term return. Yep. You know what I mean? So it's like, and it's the same deals with, with, with fighting is, yeah fighters you got to find six to eight hours to fight every day yeah you got to find another six to eight hours to make money to invest that yep. money not to just have fun with it yeah to take that money to invest it back into your training to get even better and to live and survive and then you're just and you got to know how to network yes and you got to know how to the hustle like when, when i was fighting one of the most successful fighters in the area one of my good friends miguel torres um when we were fighting locally back then he became a famous not because of how well, he was an amazing fighter he went up being the you know 
WEC bantamweight world champion, number one pound for pound guy in the world for a while. But he was also the best ticket seller any fight promoter had ever seen. Yeah. We'd fight these local shows in Hammond, Indiana. Miguel would sell a thousand tickets himself. And you know, you get a cut of those tickets. So he was making more money fighting at local shows in Indiana than guys fighting in the UFC at the time. Because wow. he'd sell five a thousand tickets. So like and you know, learning to see how Miguel hustled to sell those tickets and build his name, that was as important as training hard because again, there were guys who were training just as hard and fighting just as good, but they were selling twenty tickets. And yeah. who did the promoter want to promote? The guy who sells a thousand, the guy who sells twenty. And who's getting paid more? So you learn that you got to hustle and you got to learn to be a businessman. You got to know how to sell. You got to sell yourself, market yourself. That's how you build your sponsorships. That's how you get the, you know, the stability to be able to be like a pro fighter or a pro jiu-jitsu guy or whatever you want to do. If you're not just working a nine to five, that's going to pay the bills and give you yeah. everything you need. What's your proudest memory in the art of jiu-jitsu? Um, for me, I think the proudest memory for me was promoting my first black belt. And who was that? Uh, one of my students, Brandon. Uh, Brandon Bachelor. He's been with me. He actually started training down in Champaign. He was a U of I student. He started training a little bit after I did. And um, he got his blue belt when we were down there. And then he moved up to Rogers Park. And just so happens, like, he was right off uh, the red line. And my original Jim in Evanston was. And he was with me from day one. And uh, just to be able to promote a black belt the first time. You know, because it's like, like I said, when I started, I was a white belt. My coach was a blue belt. So the idea of even being a black belt was crazy. Like, that's... You know, American black belt in Chicago, like come yeah. on, and then to produce a black belt and and you know, and to be able to strap that black belt on somebody so deserving as Waste and who's a you know just a great person, great jujitsu, you know, um, and just that was something like every time I promote a black belt, it always adds to that it's kind of same thing. It's like something that if I do it once or I've done it 15, 16 times, it's it's one of the greatest experiences I can have in my life. Now, is it the highest belt? Not necessarily a black belt. Is it a red? belt? It's a red belt. Do you know anyone? I've I've never met any red belts. You have to be a black belt for fifty years. Yeah, that's, that's what I, I so, think. Alex and I talked about this yeah. one day. He was like, "You literally would have to be like, even if you did it as fast as possible and started a black belt at eighteen, you'd yeah. almost have to be." Yeah, you're gonna be an old like man. Sixty. So like my coach Megaton, he's been a black belt. Uh, you know, he he kind of his kind of lies about his age a little bit. Um, I guess a lot of Brazilian guys are like American women that they don't like to say their age for some yeah. reason. Uh, but he's been a black belt as long as I've been alive. He got his black belt like. a like in 1984. So he's been a black belt um, for almost 37, 38 years. Yeah. So, I mean, he'll be a red belt eventually because, um, you know, he's never going to stop, still fights, still competes all the time. Um, and a few other guys I've trained with over the years, early, early days are getting close to the red belts. But um, yeah, that's the 50 year black belt. It's just, that, that's just, I mean, obviously just to, is it a goal of yours? I, oh yeah. I, I think I got my black belt at 26. So it's reasonable that I can get my red belt. Um, and, you know, I don't see any time I'm going to not be on the mat the rest of my life. You know, there are going to be injuries. I'm sure there are going to be things that keep me off the mat. But I'm not, I mean, again, this is my job. This is my passion. This is my love. Um, it's the only thing I've ever wanted to do full time. So the red belt's just going to come. I just got to survive. Gi and no gi translating into one another. Um, they're great. So I, I started something at my gym a few years ago. I noticed that a lot of my students like gi so they wouldn't come to no gi like we did it like most gyms like okay we have monday wednesday friday we're doing gi and we're gonna do a tuesday thursday no gi you know some kind of class like that and my no gi class were small and then i noticed the people coming to no gi didn't come to the gi classes and i'm a firm believer that you don't have to do both to be good at jujitsu but if you want to have the most complete form of jujitsu you should do both that's what i've been doing so we do a split so every week the first week of let's say the month is all gi every class every open mat every training session and the next week everything's no gi and it alternates week to week so we do a hundred percent gi and then hundred percent no gi 
week to week. So it's a 50-50 split over the time of the month. And that way every student gets to train the same amount. And that way everyone's familiar with leg locks, wrestling, but we're also doing lapel guards and worm guards and all the gee stuff. And since we've done that, a bunch of gyms in the area have kind of taken that method as well, which is, I, you know, I find flattering because I think it's a great way to train. And our team, funny enough, has done much better competition-wise because whether we're doing a tournament that's gi or no gi, we're used to doing it all. We're not like, oh, we got to train for this no gi tournament because we haven't been training for it. Or we got to get ready for this IBJJF gi tournament. We just train in everything all the time. Yep. And so everyone just kind of prepared that way. So I think, you know, they're, they work hand in hand. And, you know, people say, you know, gi makes you better for no gi and no gi makes you better for gi. And they definitely do. I, at the same time, don't think you're one of those people. If you never train in the gi, you're not going to be good at jiu-jitsu. I have friends who train at 10th Planet System. They're phenomenal at jiu-jitsu. They don't need to put on the gi to be great at jiu-jitsu. Yeah. If they want to be good at gi jiu-jitsu, they have to put on the gi and vice yeah. versa. There's just so many different grips. Yeah. and but I but I feel myself when I rotate back and forth. I'm like, there's no way in hell with how horrible I am right now that I'm not going to get better <laughs> if I'm not doing both of these. Yeah, well, I mean, I just think it's the way I always looked at it is if you put a gi on and I'm fighting with a world-class gi black belt or brown belt and they're tying me up in lapels and they can choke me with all these different grips and they, they can tie me up and then I take the gi off, my defense is going to be better. There's no There's just no question. Yeah. And same time, if I can get take no gi and I roll with some really sweaty a hard to hold down wrestler who's scrambly and I can pass his guard and I can stabilize and hold him the mount. And then you let me put a gi on and now I can grab you. There's no way my control and my ability to hold people is not going to get better from doing that. Yep. And I think that's where like, if you have the, again, if like, for instance, if I'm getting ready for a big gi tournament, I'm going to focus my personal training on gi getting ready for that tournament or no gi and vice versa. But if I'm not specifically training for a event or a competition, I try to train both because I don't want to be one dimensional and I don't want to get rest on my laurels or I can slide out of this because it's sweaty or, you know, I can defend this because I can just hold the guy's sleeve and I I don't really have to get away. I don't want to be that guy who's good because he just can kind of do the, you know, whatever is the lowest common denominator to get through. I want to be the best jujitsu I can be. And I think both are going to make you get there. Now, out of curiosity, because I keep finding myself getting stuck here and I'm actually just naturally curious about Mm -hmm. it right now. Um, When you go to take the back and somebody sits in a turtle and you're Mm -hmm. trying to put like hooks in. Mm -hmm. What are you looking to do? Because I find myself getting stuck. Gi or no there. gi? No, honestly, probably both. I've, I've, over the last two weeks, I've been in the situation, and I've just been like blank. It's like, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. a good turtle. I'm not able to like completely dig mm-hmm. in there and just pull a rear naked choke, and I'm not able to get my hooks in yeah. either. So I'm just kind of stuck because I don't know what else to do. So in gi, I look for what's called a clock choke. So a clock choke is a choke where you're going to use if your right hip is next to your opponent, your left hand's going to come in front of their neck, and then your right hand's going to come under, and then you're going to grab both lapels, and now you can basically throw your body over their neck and walk your legs around their head. That's why they call it a clock choke. And what that choke is going to do is, one, it's a great choke. It finishes a lot of people. It's a great choke. But two, it's going to make them, as soon as that hand comes into the collar, they have to start defending. So now you have the perfect ability to start putting your hooks in. So if they defend the clock choke, hooks come in. If they defend the hooks, you have the ability to choke. So for side to side... They're in turtle. Mm-hmm. I'm getting hip to yep. their hip, and then I'm reaching over under with the left yep. and then grabbing on that lapel. Mm-hmm. And with the right. So, yeah, the left hand's going to come in front of the neck here, and the right hand's going to hook under their armpit and grab the other side. So, you're going to grab both uh, lapels. Okay. And then. Is that ba- a baseball choke? It's it's like. It's basically like doing a basic. Like, so if you're just on the back in the gi and you do a basic two collar choke. Okay. Where the one hand in the seatbelt comes on top, the one hand on the bottom of the seatbelt comes under, and you express the arms. Yeah. You're going to basically do the same thing, but from the turtle. And that allows you the ability to control, and it gives you a beautiful. Beautiful ability to choke, and even if they try to roll, that seatbelt grip will hold you in place, and then you can put the hooks in. 
Okay. So that's a great way. And that's something I literally was teaching about two weeks ago in class. And um, we had a tournament yesterday and a few of my students used that exact uh, situation to take the back and set some chokes up. Wow. And then nogi. Uh, and nogi, I like to do um, a lot of darts chokes. Uh, so it's in the same kind of strategy. I like to use submissions to set up back control so that if they have to start defending the chokes, they're going to have to start opening up. So if we're in that same side to side where I'm right side with you, I would take my right arm and I would go under their armpit on the near side and then lock my hands together over their head into a, what they call a, a three a half Nelson or a, sorry, a three quarters Nelson. And from there I can flatten them out and then go for darts chokes and a kind of chokes. And as their hands come up to defend that, then I can slide my hooks in and create the roll. So okay. I'm a big fan of attacking submissions to set up positions and attacking submissions to set up submissions. So it's the same deal. You're almost hip to hip. Mm -hmm. You're coming hip to hip and opposed to just mm -hmm. sitting on the back yep. and coming in for something similar to that Darce. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And I, cause that's, it's always my, that idea, make them think about multiple things. Cause obviously if you're turtled and all I'm trying to do is put the hooks in, you're going to be able to defend the hooks. Yeah. If all I'm trying to do is choke you, you're going to be able to defend the choke. If you have to defend the choke and the hooks, now you have a much, much harder conundrum to deal with. Now, your style of jujitsu, mm -hmm. what's your go-to? You're competing, let's say you're competing with, you know, similar level black belts and it's, you know, you're, yeah. you're there to like not, not mess around. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're there to win. What are you looking to do? Well, for most of my jujitsu career, I had, I was known for my half guard and my Kimura game from there. Um, I beat some of the best guys in the world with that game. And then I, I had a horrible uh, injury when I was a new black belt where I ruptured my abdominals. Um, and basically kept re-rupturing them, uh, playing that game. So I had to completely reinvent my How? competition. So I was one of two of my students, uh, Brandon, who's my first black belt and Ilya, who's my second black belt. They were getting ready for the Chicago open. This is, you know, 10 years ago and we were training hard and I just felt like I pulled a muscle in my core and I was like, oh man, this is going to be a bad little muscle pull. But I'm like, Hey, we have two more days before the tournament. I'll just keep training to get them ready. And it kept getting worse. And I woke up in the morning and I just felt like I couldn't walk, like I couldn't move. My body was really bad. And I go to the gym and some of the people at the gym were like, you look sick. Like I was pale and I had just this horrible pain. And I just, you know, I felt like I just, and I wound up the, like one of the guys at the gym was like, Hey, you look like you're going to pass out. You need to call a doctor. And one of my students who's a surgeon, I called him and he said, I think you ruptured your appendix because it was a lower right side pain. He's like, you got to get to the emergency room now. Like call an ambulance. Yeah. So I go to the emergency room and they start prepping me for surgery and they give me a CT scan and they come bring me back and they go, good news and bad news. Good news, your appendix is fine. Bad news, your whole abdominal cavity is full of blood and we don't know why. And I'm like, uh, and they're like, we don't know. We've never seen this. They're like, we can't really see everything because there's so much blood blocking. So they had to start taking needles and draining blood out of my abdominal cavity. And then after a few more CT scans, they figured out I ruptured my abdominals and they didn't know, and they didn't realize this the first, cause they asked me, you know, have, when did you, what happened? I was like, well, I just, you know, pulled a muscle a couple of days ago and they thought there's no way you should be walking if you have ruptured abdominals. So they assumed it couldn't be that until they finally saw it in the CT. And I had, I dealt with that injury for almost three years. I kept re-rupturing when I would compete. Every time I'd go for the same half guard Kimura that I would use and it just centered right on that muscle and that forced just muscles just to rip apart. Wow. That's yeah. insane. It was awful. Yeah, that's insane. Of all the, I've broken bones, I've broken my shins, dislocated shoulders, elbows, torn knees. I've broken all my fingers, toes, everything. This, the pain from the abdominals, is the the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. Yeah, just it, by twofold and w worse than what the knee on belly. Uh, I, I, it's, <laughs> I, so my my surgeon, the doc, who said he's like, this is the closest you'll feel to what like pain is if you have like cancer, is you'll have 
as a normal person because it's abdominal, which is always bad. And with that kind of internal bleeding, it's your body trying to shut you down because it doesn't want you to do anything because every time you step and move, it's just opening that wound yeah. and it's going to bleed more. So it was just, it was the worst. So is that still your game then? The half guard? No, with- I had to give it up because literally right after I did that, I came back nine months later in my first match. I was fighting a good friend of mine, Adam Redzevic. And he actually just literally just posted a clip of this match on Instagram this morning. I did that Kimura sweep to him. And as I did it, I re-ruptured my abdominals. And I took another year and a half off. And I was fighting another really tough black belt named Ezra Lennon. Same thing. We're fighting. I was going for my half guard game. And I ruptured my abdominals again. So when you're in half guard, is your like hip to the mat? And then you're reaching over to yep, get the... I'm on my right side. And then I use my left arm to control the shoulder and set up Kimuras. And I, I, like, I used that game from the time I was a white belt all through the black belt. How are you defending from like sweeps and... Well, I'm on, I'm the bottom half guard, so I'm the half guard player. Oh, on the okay, bottom. you're the bottom. And I so I would actively play that position and use it and sweep and go now, for leg locks. Are you doing like a sp- like a lockdown to keep mm-hmm. them from pulling that leg out? We call a knee shield half guard. So, so you're just putting a knee shield mm-hmm. up. And uh, you know that was a game I kind of came up with when I was a white belt because I couldn't hold anyone to close guard because I was just bad. Yeah. So everyone just forced me into half guard, and so I just decided to start playing half guard and I kind of invented a system there. Um, and it's been something I've been using for over 20 years. And I still teach it. I still use it sparingly just for, for fun. But you really don't see it in competition anymore because I just don't want to risk re-rupturing my abs. Because all my doctors and surgeons are like, hey, you got to stop competing in jiu-jitsu. You should stop doing this because if you keep doing this to your abs, you could do something irreversible. So do you still compete then? Yeah, I, do. I try to compete a lot. Um, I've, the last few years I've been focusing a lot on like super fight shows like Fight to Win. Yep. Um, just because as a coach, it's hard for me to like do the Chicago Open if I have 20 students competing. Yeah. And I'm, I don't want to limit them and say, hey, I'm going to coach. I'm going to compete today. So you guys got to be on your own. Yeah. Um, but this year I want to do a couple of bigger tournaments like Masters Worlds or uh, Nogi Worlds. Um, but I, I know I competed for so many years, but that, that the ab injury took me out of commission for like four years. So uh, I've been just kind of coming back to a few, did a few pro divisions at some shows, some super fights. and What's, What strategy do you, or you think you're going to go with? Um, right now, I, in my, I, I'm pretty much like when in Nogi, um, I, I, I'm a big leg lock guy. I've been doing leg locks since the beginning of my career. Heel uh, hooks. Heel straight. hooks, uh, yoki locks, foot locks, straight foot locks, just uh, a whole variety of things. Um, you like toe holds? Toe holds are good. I, I used to use those a lot in the gi when I, you know, at Brown and Black Belt. Donna hits really me in the toe holds. She has slick toe holds. She yeah, has very she slick hits toe, me holds. In the toe holds. Um, I love those. And in gi, I have a game called cross sleeve. I play a lot, um, which I've been working on the last about five years, and I've uh, been teaching a lot in seminars around the country. Um, and it's a very unique kind of open guard that's very, very hard to pass. And I have. For, for especially for my age group and my size, I have pretty uh, high levels of flexibility. Like I can wrap both my legs behind my head in a seated position. And it's very, very hard for someone to pass my guard from there because my inversion ability. So I can do things like K-guard and matrix and all these kind of cool. Um, do you seasons. stretch a lot or is it like, do, did you develop that flexibility from stretching or yeah. the, um, the gymnastico natural? I did that in a lot of stretching. So I do mobility work every day. Yep. Um, cause I was not flexible when I started. Yep. I was just an average flexibility. Um, but I feel it's like, I'll, t- I always joke. I'll take a guy when he starts jujitsu and be like, Hey, you know, I can only train jujitsu three days a week. So what should I do in the off days? And they're always like, should I lift? Should I run? I'm like, anything that's gonna make you a better athlete. And if I tell them to lift, they'll go lift every day. If I tell them to stretch, they're like, eh, I'm like, stretching is so important. It makes you feel good and it will help you for everything in your life. If you're more flexible, then yep. you have more mobility, but no one wants to do it because it's boring and it doesn't, you know, you don't go look in the mirror and be like, oh, look how flexible I look. Yep. But if you go lift weights, look, look at this bicep. So I think, you know, flexibility and mobility work, whether it's yoga, whether it's gymnastica, whether it's your own system is the most essential thing 
as you get older in jiu-jitsu. I think I try to stretch six days a week or something, and it's something that I actually bought one of those things where, like, yeah, spreads out I know, for, like, exactly. splits. Yeah, exactly, yep. Because uh, it's something that's, like, I think for me, it's it's a, it's a, the competitive mindset. I see Rogan be able, I'm like, there's no way I'm letting this 50-year-old man yeah. do a split, and I'm not going to. Well, I mean, perfect example, too, and for, if you're going to train in jiu-jitsu and compete, it's a huge advantage. So for things like that, like, if someone's trying to pass your guard and you have the ability to throw a knee in front of your body to prevent that guard pass, or, you know, like, one of my favorite tricks to do is, like, I'm passing the guard and someone will put me in X guard, and I can literally just drop into a full split, and it, at and the X guard, and I can now generally pass almost every time because they've never felt that. And even my students who are used to it, how do you sweep somebody if they're completely flat on top of you with the legs fully wide out so my base is so wide and both my hands are now free? And again, if I wasn't doing that, I wouldn't be able to do a full split from X guard. Yeah. You know, and as I'm getting close to 40, very few guys at that age group can do that. But it's not that I'm doing anything physically special. It's just I put in the work every day with that mobility, so that's why I can keep doing that. Yep. Yeah, I, and I think another thing that really pushed me is because a month ago – I got tapped out. Uh, someone put me in lockdown and then pulled my other leg up. I want to say it's an electric chair or electric something. Electric chair, banana splits. Yeah, yeah. and I was mm-hmm. like, all right, dude, I'm not. Yeah, I mean. There's, in, no, there's definitely a way where I, if two more degrees of flexibility, I'm, I could sit here. Yeah, and then you can just get comfortable there. And again, yeah. you can still might give up the sweep, but you can fight out of the sweep. Exactly. You can't fight out of getting tapped. Yeah. <laughs> Simple as that. You sit there and you feel like your, your nuts are going to explode. Yeah. It's like, all right, I just got to get more flexible. Yeah. So what does the future vision look like for you? What is, what's future We're, life look like? Um, the goal is to keep teaching jiu-jitsu and build our academy and our association. Like right now we have four affiliated academies under us. Um, and it's been great seeing uh, the academies branch out um, and, you know, teach more all across the country. And um, in this coming year, I'm going to do a bunch of seminars outside of the area, hopefully going to D.C. and Texas and some different places to teach. Um, I'm hopefully going to do my first instructional set this year. Um, and just kind of want to expand. Uh, we've, we've been lucky that we've really built a great culture and family and, and system um, in our academy, and it's starting to get a lot more notoriety, and we're getting a lot more um, visitors from all over and like in affiliate academies, and I really want to start kind of branching out and kind of showing people um, kind of our style of jiu-jitsu and kind of philosophy of jiu-jitsu because, you know, again, there's so many great coaches out there. Like, there are all these great people, but a lot of them, because unless you're one of these niche coaches that just happens to be, you know, a, world, a guy like Gordon Ryan made John so famous, or you get, you know, you just decide flow grappling really loves your team. Um, like the Pedago submission guy, I don't know if you know the Daisy Fresh guys and have seen them all over flow grappling. Um, they have, they're a great team full of guys in Southern Illinois who are just savages. And they've gotten so much publicity, and some people resent their publicity they've gotten, but they're great people. And I, I love what they're doing, and it's great to see this exposure. But now people are like, think that's the only jiu-jitsu in the Midwest because everyone's like, oh, these guys are so famous. And it's like, we want to show them that there's great jiu-jitsu all over the place, and we can do it all different ways. And Oh, you get surprised. It's yeah. kind of, it's. I've, I've found with jiu-jitsu in my, in my fraction of a career with it is uh, – it's kind of like food, you know what I mean? Like you, there's those Capital Grill restaurants yep. where it's like you know it's going to be a consistent good yeah. steak, but you go to a hole in a wall and be absolutely blown away, 100%. choked out by some little girl or ch- exactly. choked out by some child. Yeah, and you're like the like and it's and it's like you know white belts and blue belts, and yeah. that's where it's like this. It's a different level, you know what I mean? Because yeah. I, you can I can start to feel it now. Like when like the different the difference between belts, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Where it's like. I might be rolling with a blue belt that's giving me way more of a difficulty than rolling with yeah. some purple or brown at some other gym. I'm like, yeah. Well, I think that's a perfect example. Like I, I, I always love like we've in any, any, you know, legit academy, you'll get this, but you'll get guys who move to the area or come to train. And we love visitors. Like we have visitors all the time coming into town 
And sometimes it's like, I always laugh, like, you know, guys will be like, man, why is that guy only a blue belt? They're like, you know, is it, he shouldn't be a, I'm like, he's only been a blue belt six months, but it's like, and then you start talking to them, like, well, you know, how long you've been training? And they're like, oh, I've been training, you know, two and a half years. And I was like, you already purple belt? It's like, how often do you train? Like six days a week. Oh, I train three days a week. And some guys are just literally, I'm getting my pro belt because I showed up to X amount of classes. I get my strap. I get my belt. Yeah. And then you got guys who train six or seven days a week. And, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm, I don't hold guys back on their belts, but I mean, like you got to be able to hang with our purple and brown belts. If you're yeah, going to be a purple if and brown belt. If you can't beat the man. Yeah. Or any, yeah. you know, I don't expect him to beat like a kid like Chris. He's a full timer. I don't expect anyone to be a brown belt. You don't have to beat Chris, but. You got to be able to hang in that room of those brown belts. And if yes. you can't, why would you be a brown belt? And yes. why would you want to be a brown belt if you're like, hey, I got 12 brown belts and they're all way better than you? Then why would you be a brown belt? Yeah. yeah. You know, and again, if you're a 50 year old guy, I'm going to judge it different than a 22 year old, but even our 50 year old black belts and brown belts, you come and roll with them. No one's going to question Dude, what that. Dude, it's, is. yeah, if you get around the right, like, yeah. it's, it doesn't matter. The, the age, the sex, the size, yeah. it doesn't matter. If, if they're legit, yeah. a legit belt, you're, you're in for, you're, you're in for, for a good role. For you sure. Know what I mean, for and sure. that's, that's the goal in the sport is like, if you can't, if you, again, I understand some people, like some people got in the sport and they didn't, they didn't really want to get to make it their life. And they're like, Hey, if I can show up, I get my belt just from showing up and if it keeps them motivated, but that's, you know, I, I'm not motivated by the belt. I'm motivated by like, I want to get better. Yeah. I want to like. I want to I want to roll and I want to learn things and implement it and feel it. I, I don't want to have to think about it. I want it to become secondhand nature and to reflect back 10, 15 years and be like, you know, I can I can hang with these guys. Well, the best part of jiu-jitsu is when you start getting to a certain level, when it, whether you compete or not, competing is one thing, not competing is another, but like whether it's in competition or whether it's like at a hard open roll, when you get into the flow state and you really can get into flow state in jiu-jitsu and you just go in there and your body's reacting and after the roll, you don't even know what happened and you're just like, man, that was just, you know, 10 minutes of complete, just you were in another world and your body was just reacting and you're doing that. And, and that's where like, that's where you train for. If you can get to those states and you can get to those places where you're just in flow and you're locked in this battle with another person and you can be in that kind of elevated state. That's where like, it doesn't matter if you're a blue belt and you get to that stage or you're a black belt. That's, that's what your goal should be. And your goal there is to get there more often and more consistently and have more control while in it. And that's, you know, again, belts don't matter. You take the gi off, you know, who cares in the belt or, Hey, if he's older, or younger, if you can get to those ideas of where you get to that kind of higher level of jujitsu, where you're just in that moment and reacting and just yeah. feel that's where jujitsu is the purest, the strongest. And that should be the goal for everyone who trains. Absolutely. What are your, now, do you have any passions outside of jujitsu? Um, I don't. I have a lot of things I enjoy. I mean, mainly other than jujitsu, I spend time with my son. I have a two and almost two and a half year old son, and he's my. Uh, he's basically if I'm not on the mats, I'm with him all the time. Yep. Um, and he or he's at the mats with me a lot too. He's grown up on the mat, so um, I can't wait till he's my training partner. But other than that, yes. I just hang out with my my wife and my son. They're they're awesome and super supportive. Obviously, my wife. She's uh, she, I wouldn't be here without her. So hanging out with them, and then uh, we love to eat and try different restaurants stuff like that. But what's your favorite food? Uh, oh, I love all food. Like you were saying, about yeah. food, I, I mean, I love, I'm a big foodie. So what about favorite restaurant then? Uh, our favorite restaurant is the publican. Okay. Um, we actually got married there. We love the restaurant so much. Um, but it's just, you know, my wife's actually was a chef. Um, she, she was all, oh. over, she was a chef, a pastry chef and she worked all over the country and now she works in the back end of restaurants. Okay. Um, but uh, she's like a recruiter an HR person, but, um, we just love to eat. So like we love to go out and eat and especially it's one of the reasons I always joke. I train so much just so that I can eat good and not yes. have to worry about gaining weight. Um, but yeah, we love everything from, you know, I love hole in the wall, Mexican places, you know, fancy Michelin starred restaurants, um, you know, uh, just vegetarian, vegan places, just anything. All in food is good. If it's, if it's made well with the right, you know, yeah. ingredients, the right intention, we love food. 
So. Now, another thing for me is uh, movies. Do you have any favorite movies? Favorite movies. That's hard. Um, I, I, I lo- that's one thing. Like I, to wind down at the end of a night to come home and just like watch a movie. Yeah. Love watching movies. Favorite movies like. So hard. Probably my favorite all-time movie is Jaws. My son's actually named after a character in Jaws. Yeah. So that was that would be um, my wife and me both love that movie. When we first started dating, that was one of the first things we clicked with. Yep. We love the movie Jaws. That's dope. That's dope. Um, trying to think here. Do you have a favorite book? Some people. Uh, man, that's again. I, I, I'm a huge reader. I try to read. Yep. You know, before I had a kid, I tried to read 50 books a year. So that was always my goal. Um, and now as I have a kid, it's like five books a year. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't say my, I don't like a favorite book is so hard. Um, the, the book I'm currently reading that I love right now is a book called the nineties by Chuck Klosterman about, you know, how the nineties formed modern culture, which I think is wow. an incredibly uh, interesting and fun, uh, read, especially cause I grew up in that era, but looking always at joke and tell people I'm a nineties baby. Cause yeah. I was born in 98. Yeah. I was, I was born in 83. So I got to live through the nineties. Yeah. Um, but looking back on it, how much the world has changed, even though I grew up through that time, um, it's been a great book. So I've been reading that currently. That's dope. That's dope. Um, where can people find you? Is there anything else you want to, you know, mention or talk about? Um, basically you guys can find us, uh, Seraphim Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Um, we're in, we're currently in Skokie, Illinois, and we'll be opening in Evanston, our brand new facility. It's going to be at 1801 central street. Um, you can find us on Instagram, Seraphim BJJ. Facebook or everywhere normal or seraphimbjj.com. Um, we love anyone who comes to train jiu-jitsu. If you train at another gym, we have an open door policy to all visitors. Um, we have big open mats. We do gi and nogi jiu-jitsu. Uh, we have a women's only class. So no matter who you are, you can find somewhere to train with us. Uh, we don't do politics, so we don't care where you train. If you want to come and get some extra work in, yep. and it's going to help everybody out. We love to see people on the mat, and we just want to see jiu-jitsu um, jiu-jitsu changed my life and saved my life and made me my life what it is. So I want to spread that to as many people as I can. Yep. And I want people to be able to do it in a fun, friendly, safe environment where culture is about making everybody better on a, one big team. Yeah. That's what we're about. Do you do privates? I do. Okay. I do privates are, uh, one of my big parts of my, uh, uh, kind of, uh, profession I've been doing, you know, privates, uh, since I was a blue belt, I started doing privates. So I do privates almost every day of the week. Now, is it always come to you or do you go to uh, both? I've, you know, I, I've had some clients um, like the current gym we're in right now was one of my students, my partner, Jim's, uh, it was actually a space he built. So he's kind of had a little man cave with mats and lifting equipment. I used to go there and do privates with him when I had yep. my own gym. Uh, but I travel all over. I've done privates all over the country, all over the city. Um, but I also have students coming to me do privates from all over the country and city at my gym. So anywhere and everywhere. Awesome. That's something I'm going to hit you up about. For then. sure. We'd love to so, have you up. Uh, I think that's it, guys. Again, check out the Seraphin Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. What questions? Yeah. The sloth. Sloth, yeah. What is the sloth? So when I started uh, the gym, we needed a logo because everyone has a logo. And so, you know, people are like, oh, you should get a logo. And I was like, I don't know. like, what? And I then I remember back one of my students, one of my training partners in college is like, you wrestle like a sloth because I'm very patient in positions. Yeah. So if I get a good position, I'm not going to give it up just to go for something. And I was like, no one's got a sloth logo. I thought it was for the frames because I was like, we, and that too, like, like it's frame. got frames. Yeah, but it was just like I, you know, the idea of jujitsu is use as little energy and strength and athleticism as possible to be as efficient as possible. Yeah, what's more efficient than a sloth? It yeah. moves as little as possible to survive. And I just, you know, a lot of guys have really cool logos with like bulldogs and gorillas and sharks. That's not my personality. Yeah. I don't have like it's not a really jujitsu. Yeah. I mean, technically speaking. Yeah. yeah. So, but I was like, you know, no one's got a sloth. I can be lazy when I train. So. It's so cool because I was looking at your page and you got all these guys yeah. and they're all number one on the podium. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Well, yeah, that was that. We had the sloth pose. Yeah, one of my good friends, Kyle Watson, his his students made a big W on the podium. Yeah. And one year at Chicago Open, a bunch of our students kept winning. They were like, we don't do a pose. And the son was like, oh, we should do the sloth pose. So Chris Woja came up with the sloth pose because he's always on the podium. And it's stuck. And now it's been spreading all over. We've been done at the world championships and all over the country on the podium. So. That's dope. That's great. This was great. This was a good time. I'm excited yeah. to get some roles in with, win with you. And, yeah, we'd uh, love to have you. And uh, this was awesome. So thanks for tuning in, guys. Love you. Thank you, Jeff. Have a blessed day. Thanks for having me.